Mother's Day is coming up this week. Some people are super excited about it. Some aren't. You know which one you are. The thing is, the people around you might not. More importantly, you might not know what the person next to you might be feeling. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. Mother's Day is a worldwide holiday. It varies in the way and the why it is celebrated, and some versions actually have absolutely nothing to do with mothers, really. The woman who is credited with establishing the United States official holiday, Anna Jarvis, wasn't a mother herself and abhorred the idea of Mother's Day being commercialized. We'll get to her in a minute, but first, in case you're curious and enjoy a good rabbit hole of information like I do, I want to let you know about a few of the ways Mother's Day is celebrated around the world. Obviously, I am certain I'm missing some great ones, but here are a few I found out about. There's seven, if you want to count. (laughs) In Ethiopia, families gather each fall to dance, sing, they eat a large feast as part of Antrasht, which is a multi-day. Most places said three days, but a few didn't, so I'm going to go with a multi-day. It's a multi-day celebration honoring motherhood and the end of the rainy season. In Japan, Mother's Day takes place on the second Sunday in May, and people usually give their mothers red carnations as a common gift. It wasn't widely celebrated there, however, until after World War II, because Japan had previously shied away from and outright banned many Western practices and influences. In the UK, what they call Mothering Sunday takes place on the fourth Sunday of Lent. This tradition dates back at least 400 years, back in the days when many children had to leave home to work as domestic servants elsewhere. This Sunday would typically be a day off for the young workers to go back, visit their families, and worship at their mother churches. In Thailand, Mother's Day falls on August 12th. This is the birthday of Sirikit, or Sirikit, or something like that. It's spelled S-I-R-I, like Siri, and then K-I-T, who was a revered monarch. They celebrate with many parades, parades everywhere, and jasmine, as opposed to the red carnation in Japan, jasmine is a popular gift. In Egypt, The Egyptians esteemed motherhood and celebrated it with an annual festival to honor the goddess Isis. The first official Mother's Day was commemorated in Egypt on March 21, 1956, after a journalist by the name of Mustafa Amin lobbied for it. Over time, the tradition spread to other areas. Incidentally, Mustafa was one of two twin brothers who were journalists and publishers. They owned five of the best-selling publications until the press was nationalized in 1960. He was also imprisoned a few times throughout his career for speaking out about various things. But that's a story for a different day. Lots to read about him if you find yourself inclined to do so. In France, 
In 1950, a law established Mother's Day as a holiday for moms to take place on the last Sunday in May. Except if that also happened to be the Feast of Pentecost, in which case it would get pushed back to the first Sunday in June. So, thanks, Mom. Nope, but just push you back. Just one more week. (laughs) The French often celebrate with flowers, and it's traditional to have flower-shaped cakes. Of course they do. That sounds so French, (laughs) doesn't it? In Mexico, Mother's Day is a big, big deal. It's celebrated on May 10th. People take their mothers out to eat at restaurants and mariachi bands serenade them with renditions of Las Mananitas. Mother's Day, they say, is by far the busiest and biggest day deal for restaurants. Restaurants are packed at that point. Now back to the U.S., like I mentioned earlier, You've likely forgot by now with all the talk of red carnations and flower cakes and jasmine and such. The way we celebrate Mother's Day now, like by celebrating our moms and stuff, was created by Anna Jarvis in 1908. It became an official U.S. holiday in 1914. Do you want to hear the sad thing, though? Jarvis would later denounce the holiday's commercialization and spend the latter part of her life trying to remove it from the calendar. We'll get to that in a minute. She wasn't the only one who was instrumental in establishing this day, but I just think it's interesting to hear the history and how this evolved. So here's just a couple other more fun facts. In the years before the Civil War, Anna Jarvis and Reeves Jarvis of West Virginia helped start Mother's Day Work Clubs. They're called Mother's Day Work Clubs, which is just kind of interesting, to teach local women how to properly care for their children. These clubs later on kind of changed and became something of a unifier in the country that had been divided over the Civil War. In 1868, Jarvis organized Mother's Friendship Day, at which mothers gathered with former Union and former Confederate soldiers to promote reconciliation and unity. So not really sounding like chocolates and flowers yet, is it? Or like a boat ride around the lake. That's what I used to do with our family. The kids make fun of me still about it today. Back when we had a boat, before we sold it, when our boys started college, we sold everything that wasn't nailed down. But we had a boat at this point. And on Mother's Day, we would get in and I would ride in the boat in the back and everyone would have to be really quiet as we slowly tooled around the lake. I would kind of lean back and everyone had to just kind of sit there peacefully and let me have my moment. (laughs) They still kind of make fun of that as well. But anyway, yep, not chocolates, flowers, not boat rides yet. Another precursor to our modern day Mother's Day came from Julia Ward Howe. Julia Ward Howe. I'm just saying those names slower in case you want to do more research later. She was an abolitionist and a suffragist also worth reading about. In 1870, how's the person who wrote the Mother's Day proclamation, which was a call to action asking mothers to unite to promote world peace. In 1873, she campaigned for Mother's Peace Day to be celebrated on June 2nd. Other early Mother's Day pioneers included Juliet Calhoun Blakely, She was a temperance activist. She inspired a local Mother's Day in Albion, Michigan in the 1870s. Also, Mary Towles, Sassine, and Frank Herring worked to organize a Mother's Day in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. So where, when, and why did this unified peace-promoting holiday morph into one of the most commercialized holidays in the U.S.? 
I want to read to you what I discovered from history.com because I found it fascinating. Maybe you will too. Otherwise, just run, grab a cup of coffee and return in two minutes or something. This is about Anna Jarvis. Now I'm reading. The official Mother's Day holiday arose in the 1900s as a result of the efforts of Anna Jarvis, daughter of Anne Reeves Jarvis. Following her mother's 1905 death, Anna Jarvis conceived of Mother's Day as a way of honoring the sacrifices mothers made for their children. After gaining financial backing from a Philadelphia department store owner named John Wanamaker in May 1908, she organized the first official Mother's Day celebration at a Methodist church in Grafton, West Virginia. Right, so the first one, Methodist Church in Grafton, West Virginia. I'm not reading right now, but this is important for us to know. Her financial backing came from a Philadelphia department store owner, okay? And her celebration was at a Methodist church in Grafton, West Virginia. That same day also saw thousands of people attend a Mother's Day event at one of Wanamaker's retail stores in Philadelphia. Following the success of her first Mother's Day, Jarvis, who remained unmarried and childless her whole life, resolved to see her holiday added to the national calendar. Arguing that American holidays were biased toward male achievements, she started a massive letter-writing campaign to newspapers and prominent politicians urging the adoption of a special day honoring motherhood. By 1912, many states, towns, and churches had adopted Mother's Day as an annual holiday, and Jarvis had established the Mother's Day International Association to help promote her cause. Her persistence paid off in 1914 when President Woodrow Wilson signed a measure officially establishing the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. I want to interject here that Mr. Wanamaker also found great success with the established Mother's Day, and sales continued to increase. I'm back to reading. Anna Jarvis had originally conceived as Mother's Day as a day of personal celebration between mothers and families. Her version of the day involved wearing a white carnation as a badge and visiting one's mother or attending church services with her. But once Mother's Day became a national holiday— it was not long before florists, card companies, and other merchants capitalized on its popularity. While Jarvis had initially worked with the floral industry to help raise Mother's Day profile, by 1920, she became disgusted with how the holiday had been commercialized. So she outwardly denounced the transformation and urged people to stop buying Mother's Day flowers, cards, and candies. Jarvis eventually resorted to an open campaign against Mother's Day profiteers. She spoke out against confectioners, florists, and even charities. She also launched countless lawsuits against groups that had used the name Mother's Day, eventually spending most of her personal wealth in legal fees. By the time of her death in 1948, Jarvis had disowned the holiday altogether and even actively lobbied the government to see it removed from the American calendar. Ah, how angsty is that story? I can't even. Poor Anna. In the United States, Mother's Day continues to be celebrated by giving mothers and other women gifts and flowers and continues to be one of the biggest holidays for consumer spending and busy, busy, busy restaurant days. Can I also say something else? Mother's Day continues to be a day that's actually dreaded by many. 
Listen, I don't want to take anything away from the need for many, many mothers to be seen and appreciated for all that they do. I'm a mother. I get it. Oh, wait. I just remembered right now, when we grew up in our church, there was a tradition of everybody wearing a white carnation if your mother was alive and a red one if your mother was dead, which was also really kind of strange and painful for some, but... Like I said, just thought about that. Okay, like I said, though, mothers are important. None of us would be here if we didn't have one, which is just a fact. That said, maybe if you had a mom that was abusive or difficult or does not elicit happy memories and warm feelings, it feels a little rough. Maybe if your mom just died, it feels a little rough. Maybe if you wanted to be a mom but haven't been able to realize that dream yet for whatever reason, it feels a little rough. Maybe you are a mom, but it didn't coincide with your timing and life is difficult and money is tight and it isn't the happiest thing you're doing. Maybe you're struggling with a child right now, young or adult, and it's painful and difficult to set aside a day where you have hours and hours to ask yourself questions like, what if I did this or didn't do this? Would things have turned out differently? Maybe you've recently walked through the grief of losing a child to miscarriage or to death in some other way. Maybe it isn't even recent. But maybe on Mother's Day, you can't help but think about the children that aren't sitting around your table. All I'm saying is this upcoming Sunday isn't the happiest day of everybody's life. And I want to acknowledge that here. And I want to invite us to broaden our celebration in two ways. First, let's celebrate other women who've had an impact on us. I think of my Auntie Marge, who wasn't my mother, but she was a woman who saw me. I talked about her in season two, episode six. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, please, please, please do. I loved her so much and I want to honor her any chance I get. I think of teachers, of coaches, of neighbors, of friends, of aunties, all of these people who've impacted many young women and men with their lives. Let's celebrate all of them too. Let's broaden our celebration. Secondly, let's also thank God that even though he calls us his heavenly father, and even though when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, our father who art in heaven, and we recognize that, let's be thankful that he also revealed to us that he cares for us as a mother as well. So just like if your father was a difficult man and the very thought of relating to God as a father might rub you the wrong way, and you need to hear people say things like, you have to understand that God isn't just a larger amount of your earthly father, right? He isn't. He isn't a bigger tyrant or vengeful patriarch. Instead, God is all that is good in a father. So too, God is all that is good in a mother as well because God is good. Let me read a few verses for us to think about as we walk into this week. In Moses' song that's recorded in Deuteronomy 32, he references God as the one who gave you birth. We know this to be true, don't we? 
Genesis 1 records that in his image, God created male and female. In his image, male and female. We exist because of him. We are all made in God's image. And while he used our earthly mother and father in the process of our earthly existence, we know for a fact that nothing came into being without him. John 1 tells us that. That alone is a pretty big comfort, is it not? And as we live and move in our lives today through the events that are great and through the events that are difficult, we can continue to rely on this God. Isaiah 66, 13 says this, As a mother comforts her son, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Yep, God is talking to Jerusalem here specifically, but he's revealing something of his character while he does so. He's a comforter as a mother comforts her son. Is that consistent in scripture that he's a comforter? Absolutely. We read in 2 Corinthians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. As we look forward to this week, if this is a time of difficulty, God is the God of all comfort. He comforts us as a mother comforts a son. We can rely on this one who revealed himself to us as the comforter. We can rely on the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who says he too is our comforter. And how does God describe this comfort? In Isaiah, as I said, as a mother comforts her son, a good mother, a perfect one. Not like how I comforted my son Danny when he broke his elbow, playing at a friend's house while we were all over there watching a Vikings game. He came in and said his arm hurt. I looked it over. I didn't see blood or a bone. So I had him sit in front of me on the floor while I sort of held my cold Diet Coke on his arm. I said, I think it's going to be fine. He later had a cast. (laughs) But God comforts us like a perfect mom would, knowing the right thing to say at the right time in the right way that brings healing. God also protects us. Listen to how Jesus describes his protection in Luke chapter 13. He says, How many times I wanted to put my arms around all you people, just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not let me. Jesus wants to draw us near as a mother hen would gather her chicks. Please listen closely to what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I'm not saying other stuff. I'm reading scripture, right? Jesus said he wants to gather his people as a hen gathers her chicks. What a cozy picture. It sounds a bit like when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me. He is inviting, not only was he inviting the people back then, he invites us too to curl up in his presence and to feel cozy with him as we live our lives for him. Unlike those in Jerusalem that Jesus is referencing in Luke 13, I want to let him gather me in. I want him to put his arms around me. I want him to hold me and love me closely. I remember my mom sitting in a rocking chair, holding me on her lap. I had to be under four years old because I remember this in the first house I had lived in. And I remember she would draw me to herself and she would sing this song. I've a dear little dolly. She has eyes of bright blue. She can open and shut them, and she smiles at me too. In the morning, I dress her, and we go out to play. 
but I like best, and she'd hold me close, to rock her at the close of the day. This year, my first year without my mom, I will be grateful for the times I spent with her in her rocking chair. Even though I didn't even understand all the words she was singing. In fact, when she talked about the close of the day, I pictured a clothesline with clothes on the, on the line there. Our clothes of the day. Even though I didn't understand all that she was saying, I was grateful that she drew me close. And I will also be grateful that I have a God who sings over me, who walks with me in the morning. Even though I don't understand everything he says, I can know that he dresses me in robes of righteousness. He walks through life leading me as my shepherd, but also likes best to rock me at the close of the day when I am me and he is he. And I allow him to gather me close to his heart like a hen gathering her chicks, to hide me in the shelter of his wings, to protect me, to comfort me, to love me dearly and truly. Is it weird that I'll be thinking of him on Mother's Day? I don't think so. (laughs) And I'd like to invite you to do the same. Happy Mother's Day. 